Tonight, I'll let you remain seated as we read the text, because uh, I just will. How many are glad for that? All right, but tomorrow night, we'll have you stand again. But um, special numbers have been a blessing tonight. Uh, When we see Christ and a passion for Christ, what would happen if we uh, get all excited about getting better than we are, or we got all excited about... um, going soul winning and rescuing the perishing, but we didn't get excited about Jesus a little bit more, a lot more, then we would just be having a meeting, but we wouldn't be having a revival. So we've got to be excited. We can be, and we should be. There's a lot to be excited about Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, turn in your Bibles this evening to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7, can you guess which verse we're going to read? No. Did you know there are other verses in that chapter? I, I set you up there, didn't I? Uh, we're going to go ahead and we'll begin reading at verse 8. Second Chronicles 7 and verse 8. Also, at the same time, Solomon kept a feast seven days and all Israel with him a very great congregation from the entering into Famath under the river of Egypt. And in the eighth day, they made a solemn assembly, for they kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. And on the three and twentieth day of the seventh month, the twenty-third day of the seventh month, he sent the people away into their tents, glad and merry, in heart for the goodness that the Lord had shown unto David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. Thus, and here is where you'll understand what we're talking about. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord. What's the house of the Lord? The temple. Now here we call it the church, which technically we who are believers are the temple of God, but the church is just the building that the temple meets in, and technically... But I still think we should be respectful to the church, don't you? I do. Now, but then, this is talking about Solomon dedicating the temple to God. It says, Solomon finished the house of the Lord, the temple, and the king's house, his own personal house, and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord, and in his own house he prosperously effected. So that means Solomon had just built the temple. They had just had seven days of rejoicing for building the temple. They had just had a feast for seven days rejoicing. Hey, what if we had Dairy Queen seven days? That would be rejoicing. So they had a seven-day feast, and then when it was all done, Solomon sent everybody home, and then he went home himself, and he went to bed, and we're going to read in verse 12 what happened. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night when he went to bed, and when he went to sleep, God gave him a dream and said unto him, I have heard thy what? Prayer. All right, so here Solomon goes to bed, and God says to him, I've heard thy prayer. Now, what prayer are we talking about? Flip back to chapter 6, And I want you to begin reading at verse 12. I'll read you, follow along. Stay with me. And he stood before the altar of the Lord, Solomon, in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands. For Solomon had made a brazen scaffold 
of five cubits long, five cubits broad, three cubits high, those are measurements, and had sat in the midst of the court, and upon it he stood, and get this, kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel, spread forth his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, and he begins to pray in verse 14. But as you go through verse 15, 16, 17, 18, 28, 38, and all the way to verse 42, notice what it says in verse 42. O Lord God, what is Solomon doing? He's still praying through the entire chapter. So what is he doing through the entire chapter of chapter 6? What's he doing, everybody? Praying. Just so we make sure we get this, because if we don't get this, we're going to miss the whole point of the sermon. What is he doing all through chapter 6? He is praying. And so he finishes his prayer that he started in verse 15 and all the way through verse 42, sends everybody home after the celebration. He goes to bed, and God said, Solomon, I heard every word you said in that prayer. Now, let's talk about that. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your blessing, and we thank you for this passage that helps us with what we need. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, the most common verse probably ever used for revival, and the subject of it would be 2 Chronicles 7, 14. That's why I asked you, how many of you can guess what verse I'm going to preach on? And somebody said, because they were bold enough and brave enough, verse 14. And do you know why? Because it is the most commonly preached on verse related probably to revival. Maybe Psalms 85, 6, will thou not revive us again that the people may rejoice? But it is at least regularly preached on, on the subject of revival, at least in our circles. But what is often overlooked is the background of this verse on revival is that Solomon dedicated the temple, and there's this big, long prayer, and God said, I've heard thy prayer. And verse 14, he's answering Solomon and saying, everything that you prayed, I will do. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Evidently, he prayed, Lord, if we get away from you, and if we humble ourselves and we pray, will you hear our prayer, and will you forgive, and will you heal our land? And God said, I heard you, Solomon. And yes. Now, what we learn about revival, then, we learn more from chapter 6 and the prayer than we could actually learn from verse 14, if you follow where I'm going with this. Now, when we talk about revival, and we want to know what is a revival, what is important for us to understand is, number one, what is a revival? Number two, can we even have one? Now, there are a lot of people that think that we can never have a revival in the United States of America again. Some people think it's just working everybody up, and we get everybody worked up emotionally, then we'll fix this mess. But the Bible is teaching that it is the supernatural divine interaction of God. Now, the third thing that we're going to need to settle on is why do we even want to have a reviving, and then how do we have one? So let's talk tonight about what we're here all about. Let's talk about revival. Now, the first thing that I want to talk about for alliteration's sake or, or for uh, that idea so we can follow it is the presentation of a revival. Now, what really is a revival? A revival is not when somebody starts wearing a tie to church and they never did before. That might be manipulation. 
a revival is not when a lot of people start coming to church and we have more crowd than we had before. A revival is not when more people get busy and start working around the church. Now, all those things will happen when there is a revival, but that is not a revival. A revival is not even when people quit going to the bars. And we've heard in the past of revivals where people say the whole town got shut down, the bars got shut down, and the police didn't even have to make an arrest for the, last, for the next several months after the great revival and awakening. Now, though there were no arrests, and though the bars did shut down, those were not revivals. They were evidences that revival took place. And what really is a revival in short? It is simply this. When a man's relationship with God gets fixed. Revival is about a man and his relationship with God. And that is what a, a real revival really is. Now, as you look at 2 Chronicles 7.14, you'll see that there are two parts to it. The word revive means to restore to life again, and what has to be restored to life again is our walk with God, our closeness with God, our desire for God, our relationship with God, making it close. Now, Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, do you see this? Man is seeking God's face. Then will I hear from heaven. You get it? God then responds toward man, and they get the relationship fixed. So these two parts are in what we're seeking this week. We need our relationships with God to get deeper than they presently are. We need our relationships with God to be on fire and alive. Now, how many of you have ever had a relationship and at one stage it was very good and another stage it was distant? And then you get it fixed again and it gets very good. Well, this is the way it needs to be with God. Now, it starts with God's people turn to God. We humble ourselves, we pray, and we seek God's face. Now, let me ask a question. Don't think of it as being beating you up, but how many of you this morning, don't raise your hand, got on your knees, and began the day with prayer? If you did not, it's because you didn't desire that. Or maybe it's because you thought you were too busy for that because you had things that you had to do. And when somebody gets a reviving, then they think in their mind, this is what I have to do. I need God more than I need anything. And when people get up in the day and they just go on because they got so much they got to do, it is because they evidently think they're doing an okay job on their own. So what we have to do is recognize we need God to the point that we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek him because we want him. Now, there are different reasons that people want God. It might be because they know that they have a need that only God can meet. It might be because 
They're sick of the sin that they see in all over the world. It might be because they have somebody that's unsaved and they need God to intervene and see them saved. And it might just be simply an emptiness that they feel inside of them. And they need God to fill that emptiness again and make them full of joy again and make them excited again about life. Now, whatever the reason is, man turns to God. Now, the key, we start seeking God again because we have this desire for God, and that's what we need to do. Now, I'm wondering how many of you would say, I have to have a closer relationship with God than I presently have. As I mentioned earlier in the week, we'll have as much of a relationship with God as we want. He said, you will find me when you, when you search for me. And then he adds this, with all your heart. Now, there are times that I searched for somebody with all my heart. I was searching for a wife, and then I found one. And once I knew that that was the one I wanted, I searched for her with all my heart. I went after her with all my heart. Now, when there's a relationship with a child, and a child is distant, I had one that was a little distant with me. I wanted that relationship. I sought that relationship. I wasn't casual about it. I sought after it, and it was a passion for me. I sometimes had to back off a little bit. Other times I had to do a little bit here and sometimes stay a little bit there, and I won that relationship back. Now, what we want is a relationship with God to the point that we seek it passionately and with all our heart. For whatever reason, we recognize we need a deeper relationship with God than we presently have. So let me ask this. Not asking you to say you're God-haters, not asking you to say you're no good, not asking you to say that you're just a, just a pathetic Christian, but I do want to ask, is there anybody who would say, I need a deeper relationship with God than I presently have? Amen? Amen. Now, this is where it all starts. Now, that alone is not going to bring a revival. Number one, man has to turn to God. It's not we want what God will do for us. It's we want God himself. Now, the second thing, though, is that God has to turn to man. God says, if my people, which you call by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked way, get it, then will I hear from heaven will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. So God says, you meet the conditions that I'm looking for. You meet the conditions that I need. Now, why would we say that I need? How many of you understand that God truly is a holy God? We don't just say it, but he is. And holiness cannot have fellowship with wickedness. Am I right? And light cannot have fellowship with darkness. If you go into a dark room and then you turn a light on, what happens to all the darkness? It's gone. But you will never have oil and water mixed. You will never have light and dark mixed. And a holy God cannot have a good relationship with sinful man outside a sinful man being saved as a sinful Christian, getting it confessed and getting it right. Now, there are reasons that the Bible says that God will not turn to man. How many have ever heard that God says he'll hide his face sometimes? 
Now, what is God doing when he hides his face? Is he playing hide and seek with the man? No. He's saying, you can pray all you want, but I'm not going to bless you. You can pray all you want, but I'm not going to hear your prayer. I'm not going to supernaturally, divinely intervene on your behalf, and I'm not going to answer your prayer. Now, can there be times when God will not answer our prayers? Yes. Now, why would God not answer a prayer? Now, if we're here for revival, let's see what we're doing and see what we might be doing wrong. One reason God will not answer our prayers is if we have sin. Would you agree? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Years ago, there was a revival meeting I was preaching in, and I was preaching on Sunday morning, and there were unsaved there, and nobody got saved. Tuesday, nobody got saved. Wednesday, unsaved people there preached liberty, nobody got saved. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, I thought, what is happening? And so I got up to preach, and it's like the Lord said, preach on bitterness. So I preached on bitterness, and as I was preaching on bitterness, I can remember the devotions I had that morning popped up in my mind and my heart. My devotions that morning were about the rebellion of Korah. And how Korah and his men went to Moses and said, you think you're the only spiritual person here? Well, you're not the only Levite descendant. We're descendants of Levi too. And you take too much on you, Moses. And so that day, I got up and I preached about how Korah rebelled and God opened up the earth and swallowed Korah and his men into hell. And so I preached on bitterness, and I said, some of you might be bitter toward your pastor, and I didn't know what I was saying. At the invitation, there was one woman who walked down the aisle, and she dropped her knees, and she began to pray. And I thought, God, why is it that the godliest people are the only ones who ever walk down the aisle? This was a woman who was a Sunday school teacher. She was a charter member of the church, and she was a faithful, faithful Christian. And I was a little discouraged because she's the only one who responded when I preached on bitterness. And so I went to the pastor's house after the service for something to eat because that's what we do. We're pastors. We eat. And so anyway, I went into the pastor's house and I saw him sitting in the chair and he was shaking. He was was an elderly man and I thought, is he okay? So I said, Pastor, are you okay? Because he was just trembling like this. And he looked at me and he said, do you know what you did? And I said, no, what did I do? He said, that woman. I said, what woman? The woman who walked down the aisle. I said, why is it that the godliest women are the only ones who ever respond? And you know what he said? That woman is the biggest complainer in my church. He said, last week, she pointed her finger in my face and said, you think you're Moses. And you think that assistant that you've got over here is Aaron. Well, you're not the only spiritual people in this church. We read our Bible a lot too, and we walk with God too. And you're making too many decisions without seeing what we think we should do. And when I preached on bitterness and the rebellion of Korah, This woman walked down the aisle and got on her knees and asked God to forgive her because she was afraid God was going to open the earth and swallow her into hell. But the point is, the very next day, God heard our prayers. And we had five people get saved in that next service. Now, follow me. 
There are times when we could pray till we're blown in the face. We could pray, God, hear our prayers. We could pray, God, save these souls, and God will save. Trouble me not. The door is now shut. And other times he'll say, trouble me not. You regard iniquity in your heart. And our bitterness that we have can keep us from having God's response to our prayers. Now, sometimes God does not respond to us because we've got other issues, and sometimes it's vanity and pride. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in this holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. You know what that means? God doesn't see that Mike Pelletier is preaching tonight. He sees why Mike Pelletier is preaching tonight. If I'm preaching for popularity, if I'm preaching for an offering, if I'm preaching because I care about the church of God, and if my motive is wrong, then God will say, Mike, you can pray all you want, you can pretend all you want, but I'm not going to show up until you meet the conditions. Now, thank God we can meet the conditions. We don't have to have one person get up here and sing for a show, and we haven't had it thus far. We don't have to have one person be a deacon because they want power, and we don't have that thus far. But we may have some people that are here today that got secret sins. I'm going to ask you something. Do you think your secret sin is something that God knows? There may be some here tonight that surely want to see the church grow, surely want to see us get blessed to the point we get in that other building, surely want to see great things happen, but you've got bitterness in your heart, and you're just a bitter person. And if you regard iniquity in your heart, you're not going to meet the conditions for a great movement of God. So what we have to do is we have to meet the conditions, and we have to humble ourselves and turn from those wicked ways, and not just read the verse, but do it, and if we will meet the conditions, God says he'll hear our prayer, and then we'll see the reviving. Now, the two parts to a revival is man turns to God, and then God turns to man. Now, take a look at this prayer, and I want you to look back at chapter 6, and we're going to be fast with this because we've got more to say. But notice the two parts. Everything that we know about the revival is based on the prayer. I have heard thy prayer. So 2 Chronicles chapter 6, look at verse 19. You see man turning to God. And then you see God turning to man. Two parts to the revival. All right, have respect therefore to the prayer of thy servant and his supplication, man turning to God, praying, supplicating, but have respect to the prayer. Question, can man pray sometimes and God doesn't respect that man enough to hear his prayer? Yes or no? God doesn't respect that woman. She's a gossip, but she's a hypocrite. She pretends to be godly, but she's a gossip. God knows every woman who's a gossip, and God says, don't. And so when we do these things, we can have a lot of things right, but that will be a disqualifier for God to hear that prayer and have respect to it. So man turning to God and God turning to man. Now notice verse 21. Hearken, therefore, unto the supplication of thy servant and thy people Israel. So the people of Israel pray and supplicate, hearken to the prayer. 
God respects it and says yes. Now, can there be times a person will pray and supplicate and God will say no? Of course, he will not hearken. And we have a lot to do with how our relationship with God is, and I wonder if we don't meet the conditions for revival. Now, there are so many times where I've heard this statement. Now, they wouldn't say it to my face, but I've heard of people saying this statement. No preacher is going to tell me what to do. No preacher is going to tell me what to do. You know what I think? No preacher should. But he is a voice of God, and if he's a good preacher, he's going to say the words of God, so technically it's God telling people what to do. Am I right? Now, when the Bible says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching, that's from God, not the pastor. Now, I'm not being unkind, but I am saying this. I, I love this church. But you know what is a concern to me? Where is this thing going? What's it going to be 10 years from now? If we don't have a revival. Now, here's what, I love this church, and I love being here, but here's what is a concern. I think I might be wrong in this, but I think I might be right on this. I think that we are having great attendance in these meetings, but I'm afraid you're not having very good attendance on Wednesday nights. I think we're having awesome attendance in these meetings, but I think there probably are some of you that come faithfully and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you for being faithful. I hope that I don't make you mad and you won't quit and you quit coming. But you've been faithful to these meetings, but I don't think you've been too faithful on Sunday nights. And here's what I'm afraid of. We're going to go through the meeting and we're going to go, wow, that was great. And then we're never going to qualify for a real intervention of God because we're going to go right back to God said go and we said no. Now we all know God said it, not the preacher. And we know what God's word says about most things. And the issue is, no preacher is going to tell me what to do when technically we're saying, no, God, you're not going to tell me what to do. And so, God, you're not going to get me in here on Sunday nights or Wednesday night. No, God, you will not get me here, okay? And then we say, so, God, please save my loved one, though, anyway. So, God, please take care of my children anyway. God, please revive our church anyway. But I'm not going to do that. I don't care what the preacher says. And here's what's happening. You're hiding behind this lie that the preacher said it when it was actually God. I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm not against any of us. But I think we need to get honest with ourselves if we're saying, no, God. Because we'll never have a revival until the church across the United States of America quit saying, I like the rock. I like the dance. I like the drums. I like the culture. And I think that anybody who says be not conform to the world is a legalist. Why? Because they're technically saying no to God instead of no to some independent Baptist preacher. Now, until we get over the hurdles 
that we have put up, we're saying, God, you're not going to come this far. You're not going to get me there. You're not going to get me there. I had a young man come to me, and he said, you're always preaching against nudity. I said, well, the Bible says that you're not supposed to look at nudity. Set no wicked thing before your eyes. He said, well, I think that God made Adam and Eve naked. I said that he did. But he made Adam and his wife naked, not Adam and his girlfriend. He said, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's artwork. God made the woman's body beautiful, and I just think that it's artwork. It's a piece of art. He says, I'm a college student, and I've got pictures from magazines up on my wall, and I don't look at it as porn. I just look at it as art. I said, well, God looks at it as porn. He said, well, you're always saying that God made everything in six days. He said, I don't believe that. He says, I think God started it all, but he used the process of evolution over billions of years. And I said, look, the Bible says here in Genesis, and I read it to him, the evening and the morning was the first day, the evening and the morning was the second day, the evening and the morning was the third day, the evening and the morning was the sixth day, and on the seventh day God rested. And everybody knows an evening and a morning is a 24-hour period. He said, I don't believe it. So I said, here's the difference between you and me. If it's in the Bible, I may not always succeed at doing it. But I'm going to try. And for you, if it's in the Bible, you're thinking, I'll think about it. And I asked him, if I could prove to you that the Bible says, thou shalt not drink chocolate milk. And I can't. And I won't. I won't even try to because it's not even in there. But if I could prove to you that the Bible says, thou shalt not drink chocolate milk, would you be willing to give up your stinking chocolate milk? And you know what he said? I doubt it. That's the problem. Now let me ask you something. With all the love in my heart, if the Bible said, forsake not the gathering yourselves together as the manner of some is, but get this, all the love in my heart. I'm not using it for a bat. I'm using it to say, hey, we need to get where we meet the qualifications for revival. But so much the more as you see the day approaching, not so much the less. How many believe that Jesus is coming sooner than he was a week ago? And we're getting close to the Lord's return. So much the more as you see the day approaching. And everybody knows what the Bible is saying there. Now, some people think, the preachers are trying to get us under their thumb. Don't listen to the wrong music. Listen, God said, set no wicked thing before your eyes. You know what that means? None. And if you suspect this show is going to be a sexy one, a sexual one, it will have hot women. It will have innuendos. And I like it. Let me tell you something. You just disqualify yourself for walking with God. And so what we've got to do is quit messing around. I talked to a guy from Liberia that I preached for, and now he's dead. Somebody poisoned him. They don't mess around over there. But Jesse... When he came to America the first time, I had just gotten off the internet on Facebook having to defend a casual statement that I made. Well, it wasn't very casual. It was kind of a strong statement, I'll be honest. There was a friend of mine that used to work in my ministry, and he no longer does, and was taken into another ministry and posted up on Facebook 
how his new boss appreciates them all, and to show appreciation, took them out to eat and bought them all champagne. And you know what I said? I said, when Christians care more about revival than they do their champagne, we may just have a revival in this country. So I had all these people attacking me about me being a legalist, me being a hypocrite, me being somebody who just thinks you get to heaven by good deeds. What did I say? I said revival, not salvation. So anyway, we're going through all of this and all of this and all of this and all of these people that are champions for champagne and alcohol when God very much strongly condemns it. I'm telling you this. We are not going to have revival as long as we do not meet the conditions of holiness. So what we have to do is understand that there are two parts revival. Number one, man has to turn to God. Number two, God has to see that we meet the conditions and he will turn to man. Now, I spent a lot more time on that first point. I think that's probably what God wanted for tonight. But let me go on and hit some other things. The second thing I want to ask you real quickly, is it possible that we can have a revival? Now, I talked to a man who knew more Bible in his pinky than I know he's in my whole body. And I took him out to eat because I wanted to glean some wisdom from him years ago when I was 26 years old, beginning evangelism. And I said to this man, do you think it's possible America could ever have a revival? And I was so excited I was going to hear him say, yeah, oh yeah. And you know what he said? No. I said, really, why? He said, once a country goes into apostasy, it can never come out of it. I said, oh, Why am I going into revival meetings then? And then I said, well, what do you mean? What example? He said, like the nation of Israel. Whenever they go into apostasy, they can't come out of it. And you know what I began to think? The nation of Israel went into apostasy, but then they came out of it. And then they worshiped idols, and they came out of it. And so what that shows is that even if a nation gets away from God, it can't come out of it. But let's see what the Bible says. Who can have a revival? Let's look very quickly. Second Chronicles chapter 6. Now notice, first of all, that revival is possible for one person in this room. If nobody else meets the conditions, but you decide you want to have a revival, you can have one. Notice verse 29. Then what prayer or what supplication soever shall be made of any man, So any single individual who decides, I want my relationship with God to come alive, can see it happen. You don't have to wait on your wife. You don't have to wait on your husband. You don't have to wait on your parents. You don't have to wait on any other person. We don't even have to wait on another church. It says, if any man, now notice this, if all thy people be of Israel come to you, Now, we won't read it all, but here's what Solomon is praying. If one person will seek you, will you respond to them? God said, I will. If all the people of Israel will seek you, will you respond to them? He said, I've heard thy prayer, and I will. So that means that it is a possible thing for one or for all. Now, somebody says, well, this promise is not talking about Gentiles, only Jews. Notice verse 32. Before we read this, how many of you would say that you were born a Jew? Would you raise your hand? Okay. There might be somebody with a little Jew in you. How many say, I don't think I've got any Jew lineage in me? Would you raise your hand? Okay, so you're a Gentile if you're not a Jew. So here's what Gentiles say. All right, look at verse 32. 
moreover concerning the stranger which is not of thy people Israel, but is come from a far country for thy great name's sake, and thy mighty hand, and thy stretched out arm, if they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, the one who is not a Jew. Now notice this next phrase, that all the earth may know thy name, that all the earth, all the earth, the stranger, from a far country. Now America is pretty far away from Israel, would you agree? So what we have in here is evidence from the book that we all believe that when we talk about the possibility of revival in America, that God says we can have it. Now, if we don't believe that we can have it, then we're not going to get serious about these things that are the requirements. We're not going to get serious about praying for it, serious about it. It'll be, Lord, thank you for the food, and by the way, give us a revival. That's not gut-wrenching prayer. That's not with all your heart. That's not a bit of fasting Though there's nothing wrong with praying for it when we pray for the food. But there needs to be supplication. Now then, if we don't believe we can have it, then we're not going to really care about skipping church on Sunday night to watch a football game. But if we do want a revival, we're going to care about skipping church on Sunday night to watch a football game. When I was a guy growing up, my mom said, you can play Little League if you want, go ahead. I don't mind if you play baseball. And I found out that Little League went on on Sunday afternoons, and my mom said, you can play Sunday afternoons. And then I found out that Little League was going to take me out of church and youth group at night. You know, my mom said, you're not missing youth group, and you're not missing church. I said, but mom, I want to play baseball. And my mom said, Mike, it's a game, not a God. And this is why we're not having revival. It's a football game. Or I can watch it on video. Well, the Bible says we get together. Forsake not the gathering yourselves together, as some are doing. And why? Because we need to exhort, and we need to edify, and we need to comfort one another. We need to come and hear the word, and God said do it, bottom line. Now, unless we believe it's possible, we're not going to seek it. We're not going to worry about changing a thing. We're fine. We're fine. The bills are being paid. Lights are on. And we're going to be just like that one king who said, well, as long as the disaster doesn't happen when I'm alive, at least I got something I like in my life. Didn't even care about the next generation. All right, what's going to happen to this next generation if we don't have a revival in this generation? Somebody told me just a little bit ago, they took a survey with Barn or somebody, I hope it's not true. 20% of churches in the United States of America are predicted to shut down this year. We need a revival. And it won't happen until we meet the conditions. Now, it's for one, it's for all, it's for Jew, it's for Gentile, and notice it's for all generations. Notice it's for all generations. Notice the pronouns in verse 34. If thy people go out to war against their enemies... By the way that thou shalt send them. Now notice the pronouns. And they pray unto thee toward the city which thou hast chosen and the house which I have built. Verse 35. Then hear thou from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. Verse 36. If who sin? They sin against thee. Verse 37. 
if they bethink themselves and they return, verse 38, verse 39, then hear their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. Now, if I was praying for my wife and kids, I would say, if my wife and my kids fall away from you, if, if my kids come back to you, or if we fall away from you. Now, if I was the king, I would be saying, if my people get away from you and we return, why do they say of thy people and if they return, here's the reason. He's talking about future generations. He's talking about people that are on earth in 2022. I hope you understand what we're saying. This is for one, it's for all, it's for Jew, it's for Gentile, and revival is for all generations. So what is revival? When our relationships with God really get good. Where we really pray to him, we need him. We need him. He's our air, our oxygen. We need him. We want him. We desire him. If we didn't have oxygen, we'd be going, <clears throat> if we don't have prayer time, we're going, I need it. I need my God. And that's where we get that thirst for God. And then we get rid of anything that would keep us from him. And then we meet the conditions, and then God says, okay. And then we have him respond to us. It's for all generations. For one, it's for all Jews, for Gentile, and for all generations. And then very quickly, let's look at the prophet of a revival. The presentation, the possibility, and the prophet. Stay with me. I know it's 20 after, but we're not going to die. Okay? Now look at verse 20, uh, verse, verse 14. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If we meet the conditions, God says, then will I hear from heaven. First thing God says, he'll hear our prayers again. Now, how many have ever had an answer to prayer before? Okay, I've had some great answers to prayer. You've had some, and we could all share the answers to prayer. I can remember when I first started thinking, you know what, I would rather be a good prayer than be a good preacher. You say, well, you're definitely not a good preacher. Maybe you got hope at praying. Okay, now, I remember thinking, our generation has got to see God answer some prayers. And I want to be one that maybe God would just bless and give some answers to prayer so our generation can see that God still can. So I remember things where God did amazing things. I had a ministry that I was doing in one year that I needed a large sum of money. I needed $50,148 for that particular ministry. I didn't tell anybody what I needed, but that's what I needed. Now, at the time, we were bringing in $2,400 to $2,600 a month, so we were only behind about... $47,400 that month. And I can remember saying, we have got to have this money. And I thought, God, you did it for George Mueller. You could do it for me. So I get on my knees and I try to pray like George Mueller. God, I need $50,148. And you did it for George Mueller. You could do it for me. It's not for me. It's for the work of God. And I know you can do it. And I'm praying like this. And then the devil reminded me of something. You're not George Mueller. So you know what I did? I quit praying. I thought, who are you to think God's going to give you $50,000 out of the sky? You're just Mike. So I'm discouraged, and I'm walking around, and I'm going, what am I going to do? I've got all these churches counting on me. This thing's going to cr crash and burn. I'm going to have financial disaster, and I'll never recover it the rest of my life. 
and I'm going into frantic mode. And you know what I did then? After a little bit of frantic mode, I started saying, God, what do I do? And it's like God said, Mike, pray. And it was never George Mueller. It was George Mueller's God. So I got back on my knees, and I prayed for a lengthy amount of time. That particular need was a pretty big one. And I prayed, if I don't have this by the time I go to bed tonight, then tomorrow I'm going to shut the ministry down. I'm going to call all the churches involved and tell them it's not God's will. We don't have the money. Let's stop it before we have financial disaster. And I didn't tell one person. And that night, a man knocked on my door, and I opened the door, and he had an envelope, handed it to me, and in it was a check for $50,000. Now, it never happened before, but it did happen. It never happened since, but it did happen. Now, if you want to give me $50,000 after service, I'll take it, but I don't need it now, but I did need it then. I remember one time I was preaching to 200 young people, and when I was preaching to those 200 young people, they wanted to be saved. There were 12 of them that wanted to be saved. And we were in a camp, and it was raining so much. And all of a sudden, the rain came down so hard on that metal roof, you couldn't even hear me with a microphone. And so at the invitation, I'm saying, God, there are 12 young people that want to be saved, and they can't even hear me. And I'm talking. Nobody can hear me, I didn't think. But then in the emotion of this, I said, God, stop the rain! And I said it as loudly as I could, my hands up like this. And then I thought, what have you done? Who do you think you are? And all these thoughts go through my mind, and then I thought, wait a minute, This is not a want, this is a need. And so God promises to supply our need. And so I said, God, this is not a want, this is a need. Stop the rain! And within five seconds, it came to complete halt. And all 12 boys went out and they got saved. I went back a couple years later and one young man walked up and he said, do you remember when you prayed and God stopped the rain? I said, how can I forget? He said, I was one of the 12 boys who got saved. I said, great. He said, you know when I got saved? I was wondering if I'm going to, but when I saw God stop the rain, I knew there was something to God. You know what? If people would begin to see answers to prayer, they would know there's something to God. But we don't see them because we don't meet the conditions, because we're too busy saying, no, I'm not going to church on Sunday night, Wednesday night. No preacher's going to make me go to church on Sunday night. One woman said, who in the world started this Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday? And listen, if you don't go to church on Sunday night because you can't, God knows, my wife is sick. She can't go Sunday night. God knows if you've got to work, but God knows if you don't have to work, right? And so a woman says, who started this Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night stuff? Who started this telling everybody to go to Sunday school? Who started that stuff anyway? And she said, I'm sure the New Testament Christians didn't go Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I looked at her kids, and all of them were spaced out on drugs. I'm thinking, it didn't work for you not going to church, ma'am. But I didn't say it. But I did say this, ma'am, if you want to be spiritual and go New Testament route, let me show you what the New Testament Christians did. And I told her Acts chapter 2, and they continued daily in one accord in the temple. And they went to church every day. So I said, I wouldn't be arguing too much. If you want to be a New Testament Christian, I wouldn't be arguing too much about Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And let's go every day. But I think the issue is not trying to win an argument. I think the issue is that we're not meeting any kind of conditions for God to say, okay, you guys want revival. Now, when we get revival, God hears our prayers again. 
And wouldn't it be great for having God hear our prayers again? I went into an airport. I needed to have some money for a trip to Haiti. I needed $850. I didn't have a dime. My, mother, my wife said, go ahead and get it and put it on credit. We don't normally do it. So we put it on credit. And we said, well, God's going to pay for this. We thought God wanted us to do it. A week before the meeting, I did not have a dime. And a teenager walked up to me and he said, Brother Mike, you've been a blessing. Shook my hand and I felt some paper and I pulled it back, a $50 bill. So what's this? He said, you've been a blessing. I just want you to have it for your ministry. So if you like my preaching, I expect a $50 bill afterwards, okay, from all you teenagers. <laughs> but anyway, I said, praise God. I'll use it for a mission trip. And another man shook my hand. There was a little bit of money. Praise God. I'll use it for my mission trip. And by the end of that week, the day before I left, I had $750 of the $850. God did it again. So I'm in the airport. I'm thinking, God, you did it again. And I'm thinking this at the very moment. I need $100 more. I can take care of that when I get home. Thank you for taking care of this again. And all of a sudden, in Miami airport, I heard, man of God, Miami airport. And I hear it again, man of God. Am I hearing this thing right? And then the voice said to me, man of God. And I am thinking I'm a preacher, but I'm not Moses. And it got a little closer, man of God. And I kind of sheepishly turned around, and the guy saw me. He goes, man of God. And he walked up, and he shook my hand. He said, for you. And he turned and walked away. I looked in my hand. There was a $100 bill. That happened. Now, there's a little background to it. I met the man about an hour before. I said, sir, you wouldn't happen to be from Haiti, would you? He was a dark-skinned man. He said, no, I'm from Nigeria. I said, oh, I just thought maybe you were from Haiti. Why do you ask? I'm going to Haiti. Why are you going? For ministry, that is all I said. He said, God bless you, brother. So evidently, he was a believer. But that was it. An hour later in Miami airport, man of God. Now, how do you think he thought to give me a $100 bill? Prompted by the Holy Spirit. And how do you think he found me in Miami airport? And so we can see God answer prayers again. And that would be a great reason for reviving. There's so much more I want to say, but I will we'll close. We need a revival. Let's bow our heads.